What is up, Crypt Nation? Baby Smooth, Bryce Paul, and the notorious P-I-Z in the house. Pause this damn podcast and follow us on Twitter at Crypto101Pod and join the Facebook group if you haven't already. If there aren't any new followers after every podcast, Bryce's mom gets really sad. And I swear to God, Lisa is a saint, so don't make her sad. Today we have on another guest that we could definitely take out to an Italian dinner. Her name is Samantha Radocia, and she is the author of a book called Bitcoin Pizza. It's Samantha Radocia. Bitcoin Pizza is the no-bullshit guide to blockchain and aimed at the average consumer. But we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to spoil it for you. Go read it yourself. It comes out tomorrow. All right, well, then what are we going to talk about? Well, Samantha and I have a lot in common. She's also an entrepreneur. She's also founded four different companies. And she also speaks at crypto conferences all over the world. And she started going to Oxford University at age 16. I started college at 16 too, just not Oxford. Community college. Dude, you, I didn't even know you went to college. <laughs> and you weren't even a speaker. When we went to Consensus, you were the booth, babe. I spoke. Well, it's the same thing, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> all right, well, let's bring in the real deal. Samantha Rarocha, welcome to Crypto 101. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. We want to really dive into uh, what Bitcoin Pizza is. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful book that really breaks down the concepts of Bitcoin and blockchain in a very unique way, uh, in a very 101 way. Uh, so without further ado, we kind of just want to jump right into why you joined crypto, um, what you were doing before crypto, and also Why'd you write this book? Many questions there. Uh, so let's see. Why did I join crypto is the first one. Yes. So I have kind of a long and storied background that's kind of odd, but I, I grew up, I have two brothers and we were big gamers, you know, taking a part in building computers, like the whole thing. So I grew up around technology, self-taught, I'd say, in terms of engineering and, and developer. And I started a few companies by the time I had, you know, gone through college. So when I, I went to college, I was like, I don't want to major in computer science, um, but I still like this gaming world. Like it's it's part of where I came from. So I was studying anthropology. And for my thesis, we had to do, you know, an ethnography, which is a form of research where you live amongst a community um and in the, like the traditional disciplines it, it was like literally go live with people in australia or some other part in the world and i was like i'm really into these online communities but the department was so conservative they're like no way you can study facebook or no which was new at the time and so i i was familiar with a virtual world called second life from linden lab and they're also now the makers of a virtual world called high fidelity um, which is actually in the blockchain and crypto space now. But way back then, so this was 2009, I convinced the department to let me for six months live in this um, virtual world called Second Life as my independent study and my thesis. And so I had an avatar. I created a digital t-shirt shop. I was selling these digital t-shirts. I was making Linden dollars and I was researching all aspects of, of life and people living in this world or participating in this world, but also, you know, as part of that, uh, became really fascinated with virtual exchange, like this virtual economy. And it was a very real, I mean, anyone from the gaming space, you know, before even the Bitcoin white paper was proposed, you know, would be very familiar with the idea of digital assets um, or in-game skins or things like that. So I mean, long story short, I'd say that's when I kind of 
got involved and started hearing about um, things like Bitcoin and honestly wish I had done more with it then. Um, but alas, you know, I'd started a company that was more in the machine learning space. And so it was a, a clothing recommendation company um, and started another company in between. And then ultimately in 2014, um, came together with my co-founders for Chronicled. And that the mission for that company was just, you know, explore this technology, the underlying technology, um, you know, which we we now know to be blockchain for non-financial use cases. And it was a very broad mission. Like the only real blockchain at the time was the Bitcoin blockchain. So Ethereum wasn't even out. It was like a test net. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we, I went on the journey with that company I, and, you know, over the years from 2014 to now, essentially really just loved spending time with the communities and with people who are adopting or building the technology. And I, I realized that there was this huge gap in terms of education from hearing it in the news or seeing it, you know, in 2017, everything got very crazy and the price hopped and CNBC is starting to bring it into mainstream media and companies were changing their names to be the Long Island blockchain company. And it was absolute, I mean, I was riding in an Uber in San Francisco and that's when I knew things were, you know, really crazy where I'm listening to the Uber driver give his friend investment advice to buy Ethereum. You know, that it was around that time when I was like, okay, there's a lot of information and there's a lot of misinformation. There are a lot of really amazing technical resources aimed at a technical audience, but there wasn't really anything that like came from my point of view, which is more, you know, from the anthropological, the cultural, the social point of view of like what it, what it really means to get involved or what's going on in the space or what are some of the terms that we use? Like Total or to the moon. So yeah, I mean, I, I started doing more education and speaking and writing the book. That's awesome. So from the eyes of an anthropology major, how excited or fearful are you for the future? Ah, well, I'd say it's all, I mean, it's a double-edged sword. You know, as the saying goes with a tool, I mean, a, a tool itself, a hammer or a knife isn't inherently bad and it isn't inherently good. It just depends how you wield it. I try not to get cynical and go down these like creepy black mirror episode paths in my head. So, I mean, I'm largely optimistic. I think we're we're working with incredibly powerful technologies and it beyond even the technology, the social and the cultural perspective, what it really represents to me and why it excites me is that it's representing a completely different model for the way that we interact and exchange. And that is such a bigger idea than saying, okay, we've got this technology and it's, you know, it's either cryptocurrencies or it's blockchain. Um, I think it can fundamentally change how people work or how they live or how they earn money or how, you know, who, who gets to participate in the economy and who's left out. Hopefully more people get to participate. Um, so from that perspective, I am so excited for the idea and excited even now that we're all part of this transition, like it's happening in our lifetimes. You know, if you see what happened in the mobile revolution or the communications revolution, like the idea of having a mobile phone in everyone's hand and therefore having internet connection in everyone's hands and getting that level of access to information um, on a global scale. I just think, what will that mean when we kind of move the exchange of value and make that more 
um, of a seamless and accessible experience to everyone. So that I'm excited about. Um, on the flip side, I've because I've had the the privilege and opportunity to work with, consult, educate, um, or even you know sell products to a varied number of people, individuals and executives and large companies or even governments. And I've sat in the room to hear some pretty crazy ideas, some pretty concerning ideas that involve mainly looking at this technology and trying to use it like we have with, you know, Internet 1 and 2.0 um, and with databases and use it as a form of control um, or to deeper, you know, differentiate or entrench their companies or industries. You know, we'll have to see how that plays out. I hope that's not the way things go. And I hope we don't end up enforcing data monopolies and and things. But again, the question is how excited am I for the future? And I'm I'm very excited about it because I think the ecosystem itself and the ecosystems participating um, in this community are so vibrant. Things are so fast moving and they're active and they're building new tools and they're okay to uh, try new social boundary pushing ideas. Very cool. So what inspired your name Bitcoin Pizza? When I saw it at first, it really called out to me and I thought, oh my God, this book is written just for me. I mean, it's pizza mine. I love Bitcoin. I love pizza. <laughs> Maybe this is a pizza recipe book that's going to be as revolutionary as Bitcoin. So I read over 300 pages looking for pizza recipes and I didn't find one. And even at the end of the book, you kind of laugh like, ah, I got you. So I was like, oh, yeah, this girl's good. But what inspired the name Bitcoin Pizza? I saw a QR code, but I was too lazy and I was about to fall asleep when I finally finished the book. What's at the back of the QR code? Well, we'll see. I'm working with some interesting companies in the space to get everyone some pizza. Wow. And maybe some Bitcoin or what? pizza from Bitcoin. We'll see. Um, you'll have to read the book to find out or, you know, see where that goes. I mm. The book officially launches on August 20th and we're going to do um, a globally distributed online Twitter pizza party. So that what? will be fun and we'll be airdropping, which is a concept that is probably discussed in the book at some point, um, pizza, free pizzas around the, the country. So that's fun. But I mean, in all seriousness, I'm sorry I didn't put in any recipes. I probably should have done that in hindsight. And there have been some ideas thrown around now that this should actually be a real pizza chain. And I would be totally down to do that as my next company. I love pizza. But <laughs> I mean, generally, it came from this space of not just because I like pizza, but the the cultural origin stories and the myths um, that we tell in whether it's the forming of a company in all of, you know, the stories of Apple and Steve Jobs in a garage. And now, you know, all of the the startup origin stories in garages or the, you know, a, a nation or country's origin story. Um, I thought it was important to tell the stories, uh, the origin stories and myths that help create this this massive community that we're building. And, you know, one of them, of course, is like the, the, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto, his or her or their self. Um, and then there is also this myth of the Bitcoin pizza. And, you know, the story as it goes is that a, a programmer named Laszlo Hanez, who is working at GORUCK, which is actually a backpack I use for my digital nomad travels, um, crazy small world, uh, you know, wanted to buy pizza with Bitcoin. And so he, he found someone on a forum and traded the 10,000 Bitcoin and for 
the pizza to Papa John's pizza. Um, and the person, you know, ordered the pizza to him with a credit card. And so someone on the other end of that transaction is doing really well now <laughs> in the price. But, you know, so the point of the myth or the story, of course, it wasn't the first transaction um, with Bitcoin or on the Bitcoin blockchain, but it was a memorable transaction. One, not just because, you know, the prices have gone up so much since that day and those were multi-million dollar pizzas but um you know i think it it is just the first sort of mainstream um you know the idea of like that this kind of crazy internet money that a lot of people thought was magic or it didn't really hit close to home could we use something for a daily necessity such as food and also who doesn't love pizza particularly in you know the gaming um, in tech industries, but even beyond that, it's it's globally and culturally significant, regardless of where you're located. So, I mean, I just love that story. There is a holiday now on May 22nd called Bitcoin Pizza Day, and the title of the book is yeah, it's it's paying homage to that cultural myth um, and origin story. I love it. It's very clever. So your book is about 300 pages long or, or maybe a little bit more than that, I believe. What would be the TLDR version of the book if you could sum it up? Hmm. That's a great question. The super high level, like if there's one thing that I hope that you would read on in terms of a book that has staying power, it would be, and you haven't read anything else and you aren't really wanting to dig into the specifics of you know, proof of work or staking or all of these terms, which are discuss discussed and there are other resources out there, um, but really just want kind of a fun read on not such, not so much the what it is, but really the why of it all, why we're doing this, why this is important for um, the world, how will it change, uh, not just society on these kind of like unrelatable macro or economic concepts, but in our daily lives. Um, so I'm not a fortune teller. I can't tell you what the future will look like, but I try to as best as I can and play out some scenarios. Um, and it, you know, talks about spaces from future of work and gaming to, you know, manufacturing and how even grocery shopping or how we produce food or produce clothing that you wear will change. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you're interested in, in a high level overview of, um, how things are changing and why it's important in your daily lives and how it'll impact, um, you know, again, both daily lives and organizations, then it's the book for you. Awesome. I think everybody here at Crypto 101 uh, fits the bill for that kind of uh, audience. So uh, we will definitely share the link to make sure that everybody gets the book. Perfect. But also, I'm, I'm really curious about your creative process and like, you know, we don't we don't have many authors that come on the show, so I'd love to hear about you know how long did it take you to the, write the book? Um, was there a particular moment of inspiration, or um, you know how how do you write a book? You know, I, most of us oh, haven't written yeah. a book. <laughs> it was insane. I think it's probably the hardest thing that I've done. Wow. Maybe because I kind of have ADD, and I've never so. <laughs> I'm used to building software, right? Or companies where if something's broken or messed up, you can like fix it and push new code. And this industry is moving so quickly. So that alone, the idea of trying to write something and come up with topics that wouldn't be irrelevant in one day or by the time I finished it. Um, but, you know, basically it started with getting into a habit of 
blogging. So I, for the past few years, I've written pretty consistently, um, you know, about you know, ideas, like high level ideas or companies or concepts in the space. And some of that I did also, you know, with part of my, my job at Chronicle, I ran product. And then once I realized there needed to be more education to lay the groundwork before we were really selling this stuff, I moved into um, running and building a marketing organization. And so I think longer form content was something I was just like became familiar with. And really, I've always enjoyed writing. From the book perspective, so I I did have help in terms of outlining. So like literally when I started, I was writing crazy ideas all over the place, just free form. I thought I would do the A's, A to Z's of like a crypto glossary um, and keep it super simple and make it fun or even illustrated because I saw these concepts again, like to the moon or HODL or proof of work or or no coiners or shit coins that that like people like who are not every day invested in the space would have no idea what they meant. Yeah, we have a very um, our, our community here in the crypto space has a very illustrative vocabulary. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, you know, and I'm sure it'll change just like, you know, anything as it evolves, the words that we use to describe things will evolve as well. But anyways, it I mean, that still was part of it. So like throughout the book, I do unpack certain concepts and part of the resources at the end with that QR code um, will be a live glossary and a live set of resources or people to follow or, you know, other books to buy. Um, so that's still kind of a part of it, the A, a to Z of crypto. But um, yeah, I worked, I started with an outline and I actually, so this is something that I've done through the blogging of actually record conversations so like record an audio of talking through a chapter and then transcribe it um which is new i mean i was told to do this when i was in college instead of just writing stuff because i would always get this writer's block and not do anything um and so i did some of that and then and that was that got about 100 pages into the book and then i just started like blasting music and banging it out um so it took about maybe a year, a year and a half of from the initial uh, initial idea or inception of like, oh, yeah, OK, I'll do a book to actually going through the multiple rounds of revisions, um, working with editors then. And it didn't feel real. Like, I'm, you know, it, I'm like looking at a document and then ultimately a PDF. And it just kind of didn't click for me until I got the hardcover copies sent to me about a few weeks ago. Um, and now I'm like, oh. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is, an, <laughs> this is a book. Um, so, yeah, it was an interesting process. I've written a book myself, and I agree. It is the hardest thing you could ever do. Mine took me seven years, and it was yeah. because I just couldn't put an end to it. Life kept happening, and I had to keep writing more and changing things. It was a nightmare, but one of the things I'm most proud of as well. Amazing. Congrats for that. I mean, I'm obviously new to this. And I've, I used to do a lot of writing of like screenplays and fiction stuff or short stories. Like I really like fiction and dystopian and utopian, like sci-fi. Um, so maybe that's something, I feel like that's something that if I do that ever, it will take me eight years or 10 years. Like it just is such a massive undertaking. Um, this, I think also because I had so many resources from blogging and, and writing writing and talking about this for so long that it was kind of already there um and I just needed to really like expand on the ideas but I think what's really hard about it not just the idea of you know when I've built companies you are attached to it for sure and you build this brand but there's still some some disconnect between the brand and the company and yourself and it's the first time where I've actually like, these are just ideas that have, of course, they've come from everyone in the community and I'm just channeling them, but they're also my ideas. And it's kind of like to not have that disconnect. It's so scary, you know, to put something out there, especially in a space that can be um, polarizing at times. I mean, there are so many different people with different beliefs as to how this all should play out. Um, and it could get kind of heated at times. On, on the crypto Twitter. So, you know, I think putting it out there and putting myself out there has been a learning experience. And and I wouldn't say difficult because I I welcome it. I'm excited about it. But, you know, it's it's hard. Yeah, it definitely takes a lot of bravery. So continuing down that rabbit hole of putting yourself out there, what projects or communities are you still part of today? And why have you uh, decided to be part of them? So... I, again, the company I co-founded, I'm still advi an advisor to the company and I, you know, loosely advise um, some smaller or, or larger projects. Fold app and Lightning Pizza, of course, is something I need to say that I love just because we've worked together on the pizza stuff and using uh, Bitcoin uh, or the Lightning Network for, you know, everyday stuff and purchases. And I think that's important. Um, I'm really into the decred community mainly from a like an observer I've helped with a few things but um i think some of the principles of the network and the combined proof of work and proof of stake uh elements are really interesting to me and i've i've kind of gotten involved on the mining side um which is is new to me cuz for you know the past 4 or 5 years i was on more of like blockchain infrastructure side of things um less so on on the crypto side of things and so uh it, the past 6 months when i haven't been working on this book i've been you know reacquainting myself with all of the new projects so not so many specific ones but um you know really just supporting the larger community and making it my mission whenever i have the opportunity to speak in front of crowds of people which is pretty cool um, but they're usually people that are not in, in our community. You know, it'll be 
more traditional industries like the manufacturing industry or the automotive industry. You know, I, I support a lot. I wouldn't say like those are necessarily um, the blockchain or crypto space, but everyone will be impacted or, or touched by it or influenced by it, you know, in the coming years. So I consider us all part of the same ecosystem. So, so taking us a, a little trip down memory lane, uh, back in 2016, there was a very infamous hack called the Dow hack. Mm-hmm. This is when uh, Ethereum and Ethereum Classic ended up splitting off. And uh, what was the sentiment of the community at that time? And like, take us through like what you were thinking. Did people think that this was the end of everything? You know, what was really going on? That was crazy. It happened so fast. I remember talking to our investors. So these were like pretty traditional Silicon Valley uh, VCs, but not really. It was like Pantera and some of the funds that people know of. All of the traditional funds were way too risk averse then to get involved and back a company doing anything with this stuff. Um, In Ethereum, again, before that, when we were raising money, it was a test net. And they were like, no way you can't actually do anything with your company using Ethereum. Like we won't back you. Um, It's too risky. We only trust Bitcoin, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so we were kind of loosely involved in the networks. We, you know, we were, I'd say more like experimenting, um, but not publicly making a commitment to any specific chain. And I remember when the DAO was launched, like I remember a website and we actually wrote a proposal um, to like test it out for grant money or to be funded through it, just mainly out of curiosity. But like we put together a full on white paper about our company and I submitted it. And like a day later, every the website was gone. Everything was gone, like erased from history. And then we found out there had been the hack. And I wouldn't say there was some sort of, again, because our company was took a more traditional approach and we were building a product in the market and it wasn't so reliant on any particular network or even the infrastructure was still so new. So it wasn't, we were kind of detached from that. Our customers didn't even know they were really using blockchain and they were sneakerheads. So it was like kind of a, a early tech adopter space. But I do, I remember it and being like really weirded out that something disappeared so quickly and that all that money, you know, had been taken. And I don't think I had a moment of like existential dread for our company, for for the space, I think, and particularly for Ethereum, it, pro- it was you know, more of a turning point. What I recall most about it, it wasn't the hack. It was like, they're presenting this concept. Maybe it was like the first use of the decentralized autonomous organization, right? And you're like, wow, this is supposed to be the future of how things get done and how people organize and how money or capital is allocated. And maybe this will even address governance. And it was structured very similarly, like there were people involved and they still had to vet projects. And I kind of was like, this doesn't really sound decentralized or autonomous at all. So I think that like as I unpacked it and thought from the lens of like governance, it didn't seem that unique to me. And obviously it wasn't sufficiently decentralized if it got hacked. So there are thousands of crypto conferences around the world that you've been to, that you've spoken at. Are any of them really appropriate for a beginner and worth the price of admission that you can recommend our audience uh, consider attending? I think what's coming up right now, if people have time, there is Berlin Blockchain Week and anything, I mean, frankly, any event, if you have a chance to make it over there, um, is can't miss, particularly the the smaller ones. 
because you really have a chance to like interact with people who are just who are building in the space and it's, it's such an innovative uh city i i don't know if this is necessarily considered a conference but you know the the people who organize the meetup groups for whatever respective community whether it's you know bitcoin meetup groups or ethereum meetup groups um, I think that's a really good place to start. That's a really good piece of advice. It's actually something that nobody's ever said on the show before, but I mean, we should have said that a long time ago. I mean, meetup.com uh, and Eventbrite, you could just go search uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum and you'll find all these local events. So thank you for bringing that to top of mind. Totally. And that's also part of something <clears throat> I've been thinking about doing in partnership with these groups for, I mean, I'm calling it the pizza party tour. If I do go on a book tour of you know, bringing Bitcoin and pizza to people around the country. But I mean, I just, again, it can be so scary to get involved in a new community, regardless of what that community is. And again, the reason I wanted to write kind of a funny, uh, relatable guide to people that they actually read is so that it's not scary and you're not intimidated by it or you don't think it's just, you know, speculation and, and financial stuff, but in that you can feel confident um, to take the next steps. And I think some of the smaller meetup groups or s- some of the more intimate, um, you know, community conferences or even New York or LA or Berlin blockchain week, where there are a series of events, it's not just one, um, or even, you know, ethereal conference from consensus where you're seeing a lot of, you know, live sorts of demonstrations and getting to meet people in sort of a a more fun and lighthearted way. Um, You know, that's, it's really where you can build the, the connections. And then also I'd say, maybe this is not the right thing to say, but I spent a lot of time and I think this is how most of us like, and we've connected was through Twitter. Um, So crypto Twitter, it's not a physical space and it's not a physical event, but um, it's kind of like the 24 seven ongoing crypto event that you know if you're really into it get involved in that yeah we love crypto twitter we're uh we spend many (laughs) many uh many hours on crypto twitter a day more than we'd like to admit sometimes it's like a high school debate team that just never ends it is but it's also a place where honestly i've met it reminds me of the gaming world on it like when i grew up and i had these friends or clans or teams like before esports where i'd meet up with them on saturdays and like do stuff Um, And now, of course, with Fortnite and, you know, that's like a normal thing. But yeah, Twitter sort of feels like so many people I've become friends with and either I don't know their real names, which is fun when I get to, you know, know, meet them in real life or um, I do know who they are. But, you know, we we've been like online friends for two years and never met. So it's just it's really an interesting place if you're looking to to meet people and learn some things or, yeah, watch some high school debate team debates. <laughs> All right. I need two hot takes from you right now. So two are going to be, uh, who is the best crypto Twitter account to follow? That's question one. And then second, which is unrelated to that question, is who in the space do you really admire their work the most? Who do you look up to? Who's a role model? Uh, who are you most impressed by? Those are great questions. The first one, I mean, it's honestly, it's everyone. I need to make a list of the hundreds of Twitter accounts to follow. I think any one person, it's hard to say because you're not going to get, um, 
you know, a complete perspective. Some people are more focused on the, the, uh, you know, they're Bitcoin maximalists. Others are like enterprise blockchain people. Um, so it's hard to say. I do think if you were coming in from the crypto or financial perspective, following Pomp and maybe his newsletter is a good sort of daily dose of information. Um, in terms of people that I look up to, it's, it's again, it's the people who probably I couldn't share their names or they don't, you know, we don't even know their names and they're behind the scenes a lot. Um, which is kind of, you know, we, we owe this, the existence of this community to, um, people that we, we don't know or haven't been named. And so oftentimes the loudest voices or the people with the most followers, um, you know, of course they have things to say. We all do. But I think there are also people that I want to acknowledge and to honor and that I really admire. You know, for example, the person who was on the other end of that transaction with Laszlo for the Bitcoin pizzas. You know, we're, we're not, we don't, that person doesn't really, um, you know, talk very much openly. And I think there are a lot of people who are doing the same and in, in upholding or helping to build the networks and the ecosystem. So I, I definitely shout out to them. Awesome. Those are really good answers. If this was the first podcast somebody in the crypto space had listened to, right? You know, they just searched crypto on Google for the first time and this is the first thing they clicked on. What's one takeaway that you would really, you know, want them to have? It's not just something that you buy or speculate on or that people are watching for prices to go up and down. It's so much more than that. And it's also so much more than a technology. And so we're using these words, um, particularly words like blockchain, and whether that is the thing that moves forward or there are other words to describe it or other technical implementations, it's it's not like it's something that is going going to happen. It's already happening. There's a movement well underway. Um, and it's not just a, a financial movement. It's not just about, you know, internet money or, you know, the the internet of value. It's um, a transition that is as big as, if not bigger, than the shift um, in the industrial revolution or the, the shifts in the agrarian revolution where we went from nomads to farming things um, or the shift to, you know, from mobile phones and communications technology. So it's it's so big and it's, you know, the idea, you can already see it in your daily lives just in terms of how things have changed or, you know, in New York City, I remember and I've lived there and grown up around it, seeing yellow taxi cabs. It was like, you know, the, the kind of like standard picture of the city on a postcard. And if you look now, you don't see them. There are no, I mean, are very few yellow cars. Um, and that changed very quickly. That changed almost overnight. Um, and of course, all of the ride sharing or demand economy. So it's it's like a very big shift. Um, and everywhere you look, you're probably already seeing evidence of it. And so, I, yeah, I would embrace it. Don't be scared. It wouldn't be scared of, you know, the hard questions like, hey, you know, what does it mean with 
you know, kind of the rise of robotics or manufacturing technologies or other technologies that are enabling more and more automation. What does that mean for my industry or my job or my life? Um, I would get more involved in in learning, um, particularly about crypto. So you're in the right place and learning more about the business models and new ways of organizing and bringing people together that it's enabling because it's impacting, again, not just financial exchange and and peer-to-peer interactions in respect to exchanging money or value without an intermediary. It's, It's impacting governance or voting or, again, how food is made. Is it getting farmed across the world or is it getting produced on demand and, and shared peer to peer without a grocery store. Very cool. So last question for the show, uh, we've talked a lot about Bitcoin and blockchain again, just like your book, but we've really skipped over the most important subject, which is pizza. So we're going to get in one pizza question before we take off. What is your favorite pizza place in New York? I, I really love Joe's pizza. So amen. Yeah, you know, actually, (laughs) when I moved to L.A., I saw Joe's Pizza in West Hollywood and I freaked out like I'm such a like Joe's Pizza fangirl that I took pictures of it. And I I thought there was only, you know, well, when I lived in the first time in New York, there was only one and now there are more. But yeah, it's good. So Joe's is Joe's better than Grimaldi's or Juliana's? It depends how you classify better. I mean, I like it better. Other people might prefer. I know Grimaldi's is known for their sauce. They like had some pretty high profile lawsuit on the IP of their sauce back in the day. <laughs> yes. So, in true uh, start, I mean, they're not even a startup, but it feels like it, it would come out of some sort of startup story. You just can't, um, you just can't make that stuff up. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And also, so I went to college upstate and they're... There is a pizza shop in town called Slices, and they only sell plain slices, and everyone dips them in ranch is, like, the thing, which I'd say that other place, it's in the town of Hamilton, New York, um, is really good. And they've gotten so savvy with the alums from uh, my college, which was Colgate University, and they will vacuum seal the slices and freeze dry them and send them to you if you order them. Um, Cause they're that good. Wow. And there's definitely like a cult following around them. So uh, that would come in for a, a close first or second. That's amazing. I can't wait to uh, experience both these new places. So that's exciting. If you're ever out here in yeah. San Diego, we will definitely give you the uh, proper pizza tour and a place to uh, have your book night as well. Awesome. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. If anyone wants to reach out to Samantha, you can find her on Twitter at Sam Rad. And uh, check out her book, Bitcoin Pizza, which is available August 20th. And they can find that at BitcoinPizzaBook.com. Thank you so much for your time, Sam. Yeah, thank you. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.